0: This has been a production of Clearnote Press. Please feel free to share this recording with others, but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more resources like this, go to clearnotefellowship.org. I assume you're here for one of two reasons. Either you are a good spiritual American evangelical who knows that a session on the Great Commission is going to be the height of advanced spirituality presented at this conference. Or you're a good spiritual masochist who picked your breakout sessions by gauging which one would afflict your guilty conscience the most. (laughs) Now, did I get you? Yes. Yep. All right. We laugh because it's true. Right? And we also know that a number of people who aren't here looked at this particular session and had this thought somewhere deep inside on the level of the subconscious, not really articulated. Ugh, not that worn out shtick. Again, who wants to be bashed over the head and come out with a guilty conscience? Again, followed by a guilty conscience for not going. Now, you should be laughing because I think that's right. Right? I think that's the way that we think about the Great Commission. It's this thing that's like, you know, the most spiritual Christians are out there fulfilling it and the rest of us all just are obligated to carry a guilty conscience about it. And if we're spiritual masochists, we come so that we can get kicked in the pants and feel guilty. and Or... If we're not spiritual masochists, we just kind of avoid it altogether because who wants that? But either way, we feel guilty. We feel we've somehow failed. Now, I want you to know from the outset that this here is not that. Okay. I'm convinced the reason that that's the overwhelming response of American evangelical, uh, evangelical Christians to the Great Commission is because American evangelical Christians have no idea what the Great Commission actually is and is about. And so that also means that I think that you, sitting here in this room with me, very likely have a skewed understanding of the Great Commission and what it means for you to fulfill it or to be a part of fulfilling it. Okay, um, that's something that we've talked about over the course of this conference. Um, The roots of the problem of our our lack of understanding of the church and uh, the place of the Great Commission are deep. Uh, They go back to the revivalism of 200 years ago and most recently they've been seated in in the parachurch. Uh, As Pastor Bailey talked about last night, parachurch organizations exist to pick up the slack where the church has dropped the ball. Right? So I have a ton of friends in parachurch organizations who are leaders and every one of them will tell me. I've had this conversation. I can't tell you how many times I've had this conversation. And Alex is former Campus Crusade? Way former. Way former Campus Crusade. Right? And you can, you can vouch for me here that if you talk to somebody in, in Campus Crusader, in the parent church and you talk to them about the importance of the church, what they're going to tell you is, well, if the church was just doing its job, then we wouldn't have to exist. We wouldn't have to be what we are. We wouldn't have to do what we do. <clears throat> The church has failed to reach the world with the gospel. And so what's needed is something more streamlined, something more efficient than the body of Christ. A slick, nonprofit organization run by highly motivated individuals who have become specialists. The church just outsources the work of evangelism to train specialists. It's the way things have worked. And evangelism. I'm sorry. I've been sick, and my notes actually are incoherent. Um, Understanding. (laughs) I just keep running into sentences that don't make sense. (laughs) I should just throw my notes away, but I'm not convinced that I'll be more coherent. Wait, did you need something to drink, like a water or something? I'm okay. Thanks. You need a will. You need a will. No, I don't need that. Right. <coughs> Those peppermints be clicking around in my mouth the whole time be more annoying than my frog voice. Maybe afterwards it'd be soothing. Okay. <coughs> in American evangelicalism, the Great Commission is a racket today. It's an absolute racket. It's what we sell. Because evangelism has been the height of sincere evangelical spirituality for so long, and we all want to feel spiritual. Evangelism, the Great Commission, is what sells. It's what everybody's paying for. So everything's gospel this, gospel that, coalition and togetherness to take advantage, to take advantage of a youth culture that celebrates radical feeling spirituality that makes a difference. I'm going to say that again to take advantage of a youth culture that celebrates radical feeling spirituality that makes a difference, the biggest difference possible. After all, no one wants to waste their life. And what it ultimately leads to is burn out and flame out in glorious fashion and often apostasy. Now let me give you an illustration of what I mean. Um, I have a bunch of these stories And I could sit here and tell these stories all day, and I'm only 29 years old. But these are my friends from college. There was a girl that I was good friends with in college. We were in crew together. We went to the same church. We were both on fire for Jesus and seeing the lost reach with the gospel. She graduated. She went to Southern Seminary. Um, She met a boy there, tall, handsome, charismatic. Charismatic. Winsome, and they had dreams of changing the world for Jesus. Okay, so they went overseas to Southeast Asia. They, uh, after they got married, of course, they got married. They went overseas to Southeast Asia, and uh, and they did famous work. Um, just a year or two ago, a certain famous preacher stood up at a conference not too far from here and delivered what was supposed to be or what's supposed to be um, you know, the mission sermon for the modern era. He's taken the, uh, the mantle of, of John Piper and being the, the missions guy. And uh, <clears throat> he used this unnamed couple that I'm friends with as his central example of how it's done. He went over there with them and spent time with them and got to know them and engaged in their work. Now, let me tell you what you don't know, what nobody else knows about this couple. They were married. They went on the mission field. And they considered the mission field so important and the work they were doing so important that they chose not to have children. They grew distant from each other emotionally and physically. So much so that they just gave themselves to the work and he started not coming home at night and he started taking trips to India or whatever. He would just leave. The last two years on the mission field, they were not physically intimate once. They came home and he abandoned her for a man. They're now divorced and she doesn't know what to do with her life. She sent out an email and the email she sent out was not my marriage is wrecked and I'm having such a hard time, but he stole from me my dream. I can't be on the mission field anymore. And then she took a job with a different mission organization. I want you to know that that's typical. It's not an anomaly. I could tell you more stories like that. It's just the most recent one and the most poignant for me because of how close we were. Okay. <clears throat> Young, starry-eyed couples whose only discipleship has been win the world to Christ do this kind of thing all the time. And they burn out all the time. And they wreck their marriages all the time. What this generation of young people needs is not another preacher filling their heads with visions of glory and greatness and grandeur, ostensibly sold as the glory of God. What this generation needs are mothers and fathers that will show them how to be simple, humble Christians disciples basics how to have a healthy marriage and kids how to work because they've never seen anything like it before they've never ever seen anything like it before so the hubris of thinking that past generations of christians haven't understood evangelism or the great commission is, uh, is overwhelming past generations have christianized the western world we've led it into apostasy We don't need more impoverished American missionaries or evangelists. We need disciples. Disciples. We don't need more young people excited about reaching the lost tribes of South America while taking over there with them their wrecked marriages and wrecked understanding of basic, basic Christianity. We need disciples. Now let's look at what the Great Commission actually says. <clears throat> Matthew twenty-eight, beginning in verse sixteen. <clears throat> now the eleven disciples went to Galilee <clears throat> to the mountain to which Jesus had directed <clears throat> directed them, and when they saw him They worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, let's just work through this uh, passage systematically, very quickly. And see what's actually here. Okay, who is the Great Commission given to? The eleven. The eleven. Who are the eleven? The twelve minus one. The twelve minus one. Man. The apostles. Right? The apostles, the officers of Christ's church, ordained to establish Christ's church. Where was everybody else? Who did Jesus tell to go make disciples? He told the officers of His church. He told the apostles to go make disciples of all nations. Is that significant in any way? Is it significant that... Nobody else was there but the 11. Does it matter? Does it matter for how we understand and interpret the Great Commission? Yes, no? Yes. Yes? yes? Yeah. How? Why does it matter? Well, the disciples were the ones that were the closest following him, so they were the ones that had understood his preaching us the most. So they were mm-hmm. the, just the general average. Not. There needs to be trouble. Okay, so they were closer to Jesus and they knew Jesus' teaching better than everybody else. Um, I don't think that quite gets at it, though. I think that's not wrong, but I think there's more to it than that. Matter of authority. Okay. Who has the authority to, to, to do it? But not only their own authority, but the. The blessing of God upon the work that they have been given to do. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 says this that Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Jesus set apart officers in his church. And He commissioned them to take the gospel to the world and to make disciples of all nations. The Great Commission is not simply given to ordinary individual Christians. The Great Commission is given to the church. And it is given to the church by being given to the officers of the church who have authority to do exactly what He commands when He says make disciples. What does it mean to make disciples? He explains it. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Okay, The task is to go and make disciples of all nations. The means by which disciples are made are by baptizing them, calling them to repentance and faith and bringing them into the New Covenant community. If you were in my session earlier, we spent a lot of time talking about that on baptism and church membership. And then teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. We see that very explicitly in Acts chapter 2. So we have at Pentecost Peter's sermon, Peter's preaching to the masses, and they say, What shall I do? What must we do to be saved? Peter says, Repent and be baptized. And then it says this So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So, disciples were made, they were baptized, and they were brought into the church, into the new covenant community. And then, they began to be taught... Everything that Jesus commanded. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is just the next sentence. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings. And You know the passage, right? But the key is, they were made making disciples. They were bringing people into the church through baptism, bringing them into the church and then teaching them Christian obedience. Everything Jesus had commanded them. And they were all there gathered, devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the Lord's Supper, to fellowship with one another, and to corporate prayer. The prayers. Corporate prayer. Corporate worship. So, all authority has been given to Jesus. It's a divine mandate. The king has laid claim to the world and everyone must submit. He tells his apostles, go, make disciples of all nations. He tells them how to do it by baptizing and teaching. And then He tells them, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's a promise that Jesus will be with us to the end of the age, to the end of the world. This call and this command is all about the long view. It's all about... It's been 2,000 years since the Great Commission was given. Right? It's been a long time. We should have a sense of urgency about fulfilling the Great Commission. There are people who have never heard of the Gospel, have never heard of Jesus. But it's been 2,000 years so far, and we're still not very good at it yet. Right? Right? It's been 2,000 years and we're not very good disciples yet. And the truth of the matter is we are the ends of the earth. We are the ends of the earth and what we need is to work on being good disciples. We need to work on being good disciples. The Great Commission is all about the church. It's about the baptized body of Christ in the world, living obedient lives and using our spiritual gifts to build one another up. And taking that message to our neighbors and unbelieving friends. But what we can't take to our neighbors and unbelieving friends is an impoverished, truncated gospel. What we have to take to the world is a whole Gospel from disciples that are committed to obeying everything that Jesus taught and calling others to do the same. So how do you fulfill the Great Commission? How do you and I fulfill the Great Commission? How does an ordinary layperson fulfill the Great Commission? It's not by taking a tract and sharing... For spiritual laws with somebody and calling it good. That's not the Great Commission. The Great Commission is much, much more than that. How do you fill the, fulfill the Great Commission? The first thing you must do is be a good disciple. You have to be yourself a good disciple. You have to be baptized and you have to grow in obedience to everything Jesus taught. And you have to be committed to growing in obedience to everything Jesus taught. Second, you have to be a good church member. You have to use your gifts to build the body of Christ. Third, You need to raise a godly seed. You need to have kids and be good parents. You need to train and catechize your kids and raise them to be good disciples and pray for them that God would change their sinful hearts. The covenant community, the people of God, have always consisted of believers and their children and those who are being brought in. That's true of Old Testament Israel and it's true of the church today. And fruitfulness is something that extends everywhere. You can't be simply fruitful in one part of your life. Can you imagine? You think about those uh, friends of mine in, uh, in Southeast Asia. and think about how their lives would have been different if they had committed to having kids. And you could think, well, shoot, those poor kids... But you could also think maybe that's what God would have used. What kind of gospel do you think that they were teaching and preaching? How do you how do you have a marriage in which there's no physical intimacy for two years? Two years. And you're all out there just going supposedly whole hog on like discipling and evangelizing and church planting even. What kind of gospel are you, are you bringing with you that doesn't affect and doesn't sanctify and change your marriage? We need to confess Christ everywhere. In your vocation, in your suffering, in the public square. You need to confess Christ by being a good worker at your job, by being a good mom at home. You need to confess Christ in the public square and be a public Christian. Public with your faith all the time. You're a disciple of Jesus. And you need to show hospitality, love your neighbor, care for the weak and the oppressed. But my, my point, and I think the thing that I want to emphasize most, is that the Great Commission is fulfilled by the church and in the context of the church. By church members being and becoming good disciples. Growing in total life obedience to Jesus. Not some truncated kind of obedience. That's just what it means to be a disciple. Is okay. Somebody shared the, the four spiritual laws with me. Now I need to go share those with ten other people, and that's that's the nature of you know really awesome evangelical spirituality. That's what it means to be a good Christian. I wish that you all had been in my uh, in my. First session because I keep wanting to. Well, I keep us. Uh, I'm building off of a lot of things that I've already argued, and it's hard for me to. To uh, to go back and bring those things back in, but. Um, one other thing I want to say, though, is that. Um, what I, what I don't want you guys to leave here with is while the call of the Great Commission for you is to be a good disciple and to love your neighbors, um, it's not to circle the wagons. It's not a justification to hide your light under a bushel. Right? And the Sermon on the Mount is everything, or a good place to start if you want to know everything that Jesus commanded. And it begins with, Don't hide your light under a bushel. But let your good deeds be evident before men that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. But it'll be your good deeds. It'll be your healthy family. It'll be your hard work. It'll be the way that you face suffering. It won't be your really excited, charismatic, passionate, super spiritual, pants on fire on the edge of the world, you know, aping some podcast that you heard as you It'll be simple, humble obedience that draws people to Christ. It is simple, humble obedience that drew me to Christ. I'm from a broken home. I had never seen a godly family in my life first godly family I saw was something completely exotic and compelling and attractive. They were showing Christ to me. And nothing had a bigger impact than that on my life. And that's what you want. You just want to be simple, humble, normal Christians who have good families and good homes and children who love the Lord. And you want to love your neighbor, and you want to be faithful in whatever work God's called you to do. This has been a production of Clear Note Press. Please feel free to share this recording with others, but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more resources like this, go to clearnotefellowship.org.